to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. Years ago, one of his man-on-the-street interviews, talk show host Jay Leno, interviewed two college-age women. He asked one, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And she said, freedom of speech? He said to the other, complete this sentence, let he who is without sin, her response was, have a good time? Leno then turned to a young man who was standing there, and and he asked him, who, according to the Bible, was swallowed by a great fish? And the young man confidently answered, well, that would be Pinocchio, of course. You see, it used to be that we could take certain things for granted regarding what people knew, but those days are gone. They're gone. So while I think everybody here has some idea about what we're celebrating today, I want to make sure that we all cover the proverbial basis. I want to make sure that you leave here today knowing what you need to know. I want to make sure that you know the difference that the resurrection of Jesus really makes. About his life before trusting in Jesus, C.S. Lewis said, to say I was searching for God was like saying a mouse was searching for a cat. You see, it's no accident that you're here. You may think you're here just because you chose to get up and you chose to drive to church, and it's true, you did, but you're not here today because of you. You're here today because of God. You're not in charge. He is. So let that be the foundation as you listen to what I'm going to talk with you about today. Dr. Andrew Bernard told how in the highlands of Scotland, the sheep would often wander off into the rocks and into places from which they couldn't escape. The grass on these mountains is very sweet, and the sheep like it, and they'll jump down 10 or 12 feet, and then they can't jump back up again, and so the shepherd hears them bleating in distress. They may, in fact, be there for days until they've eaten all of the grass, but the shepherd will wait. He will wait until they're so faint they cannot stand, and then he will put a rope around the sheep, and he will go over and pull the sheep out of the jaws of death. Why don't they go down there when the sheep first gets there, you might wonder. The author notes the animals would dash right over the precipice and be killed, and that's the way it is with people. We often won't go to God until it seems like we've lost everything. If you're a wanderer like the sheep, I tell you that the good shepherd will bring you back the very moment you have given up trying to save yourself and are willing to let him save you in the way that he does. Some of you might be in that place this morning. You're at your end. If something in your life doesn't change, you know you're in trouble. I want you to know this morning there's hope. That's what church is all about. That's certainly what Easter is all about. There is hope. And hold that thought as we continue. The New Testament records what Jesus did, how he lived his life, how he died, how he was raised from the dead, and how he will one day return. So this morning, I want us to think about all of these things related to Jesus. And remember, I want us to remember some things that he said. Jesus told his followers what was going to happen. 
Thus the title of the sermon, Remember His Words. We're in the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. If you're able, I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen.' Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Verse 8 tells us that some followers of Jesus, these women went to the tomb and they saw the stone rolled away and they saw that Jesus' body was no longer there and the two angels even talked with them and they heard the angels say, he is not here but has risen. And the Bible says they remembered the things Jesus had said. They remembered his words. So this morning, I want us to do the same. In the midst of all of the chaos and all of the bad news in the world, isn't it true we need some good words? Isn't that true? We need some good words. So what words of God should we remember today? First of all, remember what Jesus said about why he came. Remember what Jesus said about why he came. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible gives us the account of why all of this was necessary. The book of Genesis, in fact, records how God created the heavens and the earth. He created all that was created. He created man and woman. He created the first two people, Adam and Eve. And he gave them, you'll recall, strict instructions about what they could and couldn't do. The devil tempted them, and they acquiesced. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that started the spiral of humanity. Now, you may say, Ken... You've got to be kidding me. You really believe, first of all, that God did all the creating? You don't believe in evolution? Here's what I believe. I believe God created the heavens and the earth just like the Bible said he did. I find that explanation to be so much more palpable and, frankly, much more consistent than anything that I would read in Darwin's Origin of Species. Further, I have to say that I find, and I have found this throughout the entirety of my adult life, I have found the entirety of Scripture to be consistent. It fits. It causes the pieces of the puzzle to work together. It makes sense. In fact, if you follow the storyline of the Bible, you recognize where humanity has been and also where humanity is going. Unlike the evolutionist notions, we don't believe that the world is evolving, and we certainly don't believe the world 
is getting better. Do you guys ever read the news? Then you know the world is not getting better. In fact, it is in desperate need of redemption, right? And in case you haven't noticed it, it's not gotten better. There's a reason that the Bible sells more copies than the origin of species. One is truth. One is fiction. One is hopeful. One is hopeless. So Jesus said he came to serve and to die for the sins of humankind. We need to remember that. And we need to remember that because there needs to be a way for people to be forgiven. We need a way to be forgiven. We all need to see the possibility for redemption exists for all people, and that's the hope that we celebrate at Easter. So remember what Jesus said about why he came. Secondly, remember what Jesus said about why he would die. Remember what he said about why he would die. Luke 24, verse 6, part B and following. The angels said, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, you know there are a lot of people we can talk about, and we can think about their life and the contribution that they have made to the world. We could say, for example, Beethoven came to make great music. We could say Picasso came to make great paintings. That didn't do it for you either. How about this? We could say Paula Dean came to make great fried chicken. But listen, Jesus came to die. And unlike great music, great art, or even great food, what Jesus did has changed everything forever. Jesus came to be crucified. The purpose of his death was to be a substitute in the place of sinful humanity. Jesus never sinned. Therefore, he was the perfect sacrifice. Where all through the Old Testament people were striving for righteousness, they would have to sacrifice an animal to God. Jesus is the once for all final sacrifice. He is the perfect lamb who the Bible says takes away the sin of the world. He willingly laid down his life for humanity. He died on the cross for the sins of other people, not because he was a sinner. He died for us. On the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And he did this, Paul further notes, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, being made right with God isn't about changing your behavior, giving up all your bad habits, or even giving away all of your money to the poor. The answer isn't a religion. It's not a church or even a movement. The answer to the problem of our sin is a person, and his name is Jesus. See, we all stand condemned before God because of our sin. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. We're born in sin, and the truth is, in time, we choose to sin. I can prove it. You never have to teach a child to do the wrong thing. Right? What do we do? We spend all of our time trying to teach our children and our grandchildren to do the right thing. I've never once, never once in all of my years seen a parent bend down and say, please, honey, I need you to sass me right now. Please, sweetheart, would you disobey me in this moment? No, we spend all of our time, an inordinate amount of time as parents, striving to teach our children to do the right thing. So we're born in sin, and in time we choose to sin. 
The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. That's the Pope at Rome. And that was Billy Graham from North Carolina. That's all of us. The Bible further states in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Our sin earns us death. Now, I know that many believe it's an antiquated notion that has no place No place at all in the church's modern, sophisticated vernacular. But the truth remains, just as there is a heaven for those who believe in Jesus, there is a hell for those who reject him. I know people say all the time, well, you you never hear a preacher talk about hell anymore. You can't say that because I just did. Hell is every bit as real as heaven. Part of the problem these days is that Even some churches have jettisoned their teaching of hell because they feel like, after all, we ought to just live and let live. Some people feel like it's unkind to mention something like hell. Here's what I'll tell you. If I go to the doctor and the doctor tells me that I have a cold when in reality I have a disease that will take my life in less than a month, he's not being kind to me. It may make him feel better in the moment. It might even make me like him a little more in the moment. But in the end, if he's not told me the truth, the truth of the matter is he's done to me a great disservice. So the so-called churches and the so-called preachers today who are saying that people can live however they want but don't have to worry about the wrath or the judgment of God, they're doing people a great disservice. Whether we're talking about encouraging confused adolescents to continue in their confusion about gender and try to change what God has created as good, or we're talking about acquiescing to the rainbow flag crowd and saying anything goes, or even if we're telling heterosexuals that they ought to live together before marriage because after all, marriage is an outdated concept. Listen to me carefully. All of that, all of that is wrong. Drunkenness is wrong, gluttony is wrong, cheating is wrong, lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, on and on and on. We need to tell the truth about these things. Do you really think that people, people in leadership in particular in our nation who are in favor of an anything-goes morality and mentality across the board, do you really think they're right? And what about those who claim to be Christians? Do you think that the politicians who attend Mass on Sunday and won't speak out for protecting babies on Monday? Do you think they're all really right with God? And the churches that say all that's okay are not okay. There's an old spiritual song that gets it right. It says something like this, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Can we talk? Do you think all the stuff that the Bible says about morality is out of date? We should just throw it out? Because we know better and we're we're more sophisticated than the ancients? Isn't there something deep down within each of us that helps us recognize the truth of that? What I'm saying is propagating false teaching is wrong. And while it may make people feel like they like us more, and it may make us feel better not to have to confront people with that truth, in the end, it's a great disservice to not be truthful just because it might be offensive. I know there are a lot of people in the world today, and certainly a lot of people in the church that are scared to death about offending people. Don't you think people are going to be offended when they wake up in hell recognizing we could have told them the truth? 
and pointed them to the answer, which is Jesus. So here's my point. Whatever you've done up to this point in life, you don't, you don't have to go to hell. We're talking about hell, but you don't have to go there. Because whatever it is you've done up to this point in life, if you will repent of your sin and surrender your life to Christ, you can be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God and turned it to favor. The biblical word for that is propitiation. He took the wrath of God. Jesus took on all of our punishment, yours and mine and the sins of the whole world, and he turned it to favor so that you might be forgiven and saved if you trust him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the message of Easter. That's the message of the gospel. That is, in fact, good news. So remember what Jesus said about why he came. Remember what Jesus said about why he would die. Number three, remember what Jesus said about why he would be resurrected. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus said these words, by the way, at the tomb of a dead man, a good friend of his named Lazarus. So he's not saying that we won't physically die. In context, he's talking about spiritual death, that is, eternal separation from God. For believers in Jesus, when we die, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we go to be with God. To be absent from the body, Paul notes, is to be present with the Lord. So for the Christian, the moment we exhale our last breath here on earth, we inhale our first breath in heaven. Jesus was resurrected in order to conquer death that we might live. Paul writes elsewhere that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the resurrection changes everything. Now, I know that it may not always feel like it in the here and now, but it's a reminder and it's the assurance that one day everything is going to be made right. Now, I know not everybody believes this. But listen, like R.G. Lee used to preach so often, there will be a payday someday. One day, all of the accounts will be reconciled, and the one doing the reconciling is God. And the only way for you and for me to have our account cleared, paid in full, is through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus because of what Christ himself did on the cross. And if you've experienced that, then you're different. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're different. You're changed. People claiming to be believers but acting like the world all the time, they're not right with God. I'm not being judgmental. That's biblical. If we belong to Jesus, there's something, in fact, everything about us that's changed. Years ago, Billy Graham said this, and I know how this works. You could have 500 pastors that would say this sort of thing to you, but because Billy Graham said it, you'll believe it. So I'm going to quote Billy Graham. Billy Graham said that if half the people who were in the church were Christians, he'd be surprised. If Dr. Graham were alive today as we are, seeing what we see today in the church universal, I suspect, I'm not talking about you, but I suspect he would change that to an even lesser number for all, all of the stuff that passes for Christianity. He wouldn't know what to do with that. 
Listen, one day all the injustices in the world will be fixed. All the greed will be wiped away. All the lies of history will be negated. The resurrection of Jesus conquers sin once and for all. So remember what Jesus said about why he came. Remember what he said about why he would die. Remember what Jesus said about why he would be resurrected. Fourthly and finally, remember what Jesus said about why he would return. John fourteen three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. After he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus ascended into heaven. But remember, he told his disciples he would return. A lot of people in this messed up world think that just because Jesus hasn't returned yet, that he won't. Well, listen, I haven't died yet, but I guarantee you I will one day. Just because something hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it won't. As Christians, one day we'll either die and go to be with Jesus, or Jesus will return to take us to be with him. Either way, we win. Either way, we win, and either way, we have hope. And that really is the message of Easter. We have life after all of this that is still awaiting us. Recently in our church, we have been in a series of sermons where we've been dealing with grief And I ask people to send me their personal stories about grief, and I want to close with this one because it's very painful, but it's also, I think, very, very hopeful. So listen to this. For me, grief comes in waves, crashing in at sometimes really unexpected triggers. The biggest tragedy of my life was when my twin brother was unexpectedly diagnosed with cancer and then died 16 days later. It was devastating to learn of his diagnosis, but losing him was unlike anything else I've ever experienced. I literally felt like my world stopped turning. I was about nine weeks pregnant at the time, and I remember making myself eat and sleep and keep going because I didn't want to do anything to hurt my baby because I knew I couldn't bear another loss at that time. So many church family members reached out. They called, texted, visited, brought us food, and I remember being in complete shock and how many of them and my coworkers came to the funeral, even though it was an hour and a half away. A former coworker who had moved to St. Louis came as well. She is a twin, and when we saw each other, she just said, I know, and we both kind of lost it. During the time when my brother was in the hospital, school was starting, and I confided in my best friend, who happened to be my neighbor, that I was so overwhelmed, and my house was a disaster, and I, I just didn't know how I was ever going to get caught up. I came home from the hospital a few days later, and she had rallied our friends and cleaned our house from top to bottom, including the laundry. That was possibly the most humbling thing that has ever been done for me. I mean, my house was, and she capitalized this, B-A-D. I just stood on the stairs with my husband, and we cried, looking around at our clean house. I am so bad at asking for help, and it meant so much that I didn't have to, And she just saw the need and took care of it. So many people did this for us over the course of that month. They just filled needs that I didn't even realize I had. Throughout that experience, I realized that words are so inadequate, but I still needed every word that was said or texted to me. I read and listened to them all, and they helped keep me going. All of this to say that what I have found out about grief is that it can be downright crippling. But people 
acts of service and words said in love. That's what got me through physically and emotionally. Beyond that, and most important, is my belief in something more than this world. So many times in the years since his death, I have thought to myself how very happy I am to have a God that promises more than this world. People often commented on my strength, but honestly, I was a mess. I drew every bit of strength I had from God and the love I felt from God's people. In the midst of tragedy, some people get angry with God for letting bad things happen. I was just so very thankful to have a God that carried me through it. I still have bad days sometimes where I just hurt from the loss, but the promise of seeing him again gets me through. Last year, my four-year-old cousin was killed in a tragic accident. It was devastating. And after I got over the initial shock, I was comforted with the image of that little boy walking through heaven's gate and being picked up by my brother and then handed over to Jesus. Sometimes I even imagine Jesus handing him to his mama when she goes to heaven one day. Heaven and its promise. That's it. Heaven and its promise, she writes. That's it. And it is. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.